Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath. You turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Let me hear what, the, what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. And then let's look at the words of Jesus there in the, Lord, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for, him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And then finally, to James, the first chapter. Starting with verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures." May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I remember an episode when I was a, a, a young child that uh, my mom told me that uh, I had a, I believe it was one of my cousins, uh, much older than I am, uh, one of my cousins was going to bring me a bag of toys. Now, the, these toys came from Cracker Jack boxes. Did, did you have Cracker Jacks over here in the U.K.? Maybe not. Cracker Jacks, they, they were these caramelized uh, popcorn with peanuts. The peanuts parts were the best in my, in my, in my humble estimation. 
uh, and in Cracker Jacks, you often had a, a prize and in different kinds of little toys or gifts or things like that. You could get out of the cat, Cracker Jack box and it was a lot of fun to, to play with those and it's, it, it, it lit up the reward centers of your brain so it would bring you back for more. That and sugar, you know, that one-two combination to get you to buy a lot. And so, so I was told I was going to get a bag of Cracker Jacks toys, and so I had in my mind bags, you know. Bags are these big things that, that hold, like, lots of stuff. And I remember that when she finally brought the bag, the bag was actually kind of small, but it was filled with the little toys. But even though the toys were awesome... And, and it was a wonderful, wonderful gift. Because I had inflated in my mind what this should be and what this should look like, I really didn't appreciate it. I really, and, I, and I was disappointed. I was disappointed. I remember another, another time where we had a, a little old Italian, literally an Italian uh, uh, older couple who lived next door to us. They had immigrated from the old country, and St. Louis, where I grew up in the States, uh, has a very, very strong Italian community. Uh, there's been one time that I know of when the United States beat the United Kingdom, or maybe did we tie, I don't know, uh, in the World Cup, uh, and, or England rather, it wouldn't be the UK, it would have been England in the World Cup, and that was back in the 1950s. And uh, the, our side in the 1950s was composed largely of Italian-Americans who had learned how to play in Italy. You know, that's the only reason why the Americans could even begin to, uh, to match uh, the Brits in that. But anyway, uh, and so one day they said, they're going to bring some spaghetti. And uh, in my mind, you know, we, we used to have this stuff called ragu. Uh, I think you can still get it here. It, it's that canned, uh, it's actually not in a can, it's usually in a glass jar and it's this spaghetti sauce that, that is really thick, and it's like 50% sugar and about 2% tomato and, and, and this other. And, and so if you're a kid, you know, you love ragu, you can just kind of sip it with a straw. And uh, so we had this situation there, and, and uh, they were going to bring some spaghetti, but she brought spaghetti in the, in the old world Italian way, which is very little sauce. And because of this, I totally didn't appreciate it. Because my mindset was actually on an, what I now understand as an inferior product. My mind was looking for something that I was used to, which is this cheap ragu spaghetti sauce or whatever, whatever it was. Uh, this, this cheap store-bought spaghetti sauce lavished on the, the cheap spaghetti when, what I, when I got was probably homemade spaghetti with a definitely homemade old-world Italian spaghetti sauce. And because of that, I missed how wonderful it was. And now, as a, an adult who has a wife who does excellent Italian and who knows how Italian really should be done, I look back and I regret that missed opportunity because there was something really good before me that I didn't enjoy because it didn't match what I had created in my mind. And this is a problem that we often have, that we miss goodness because we have manufactured in our minds understandings of goodness that are less than good. 
Uh, we can manufacture these ideas that if we only had this thing, you know, if we could only sleep around outside of marriage, that, that sex is going to be really, really good. And you know, in doing that, you actually miss the real goodness of sex that God has designed for the covenant of marriage. Or we can start to say, uh, well, you know, if only I had something that met all of my needs, you know, and all these things that I want and all of my desires, you know, then, then I'd experience goodness. And we set ourselves up and we don't realize that actually the true experience of goodness is often experienced in serving others and meeting the needs of other people rather than having our needs met first. There's so many things like that in our lives that we have imagined what goodness will be and the goodness often speaks more to our pleasures and our desires and our selfishness than it does in what is really good. And we bring this to the place of God. So often people get offended by God because they create this image of what God's goodness should be, what God's goodness should look like, They create fantasies that God never promised. And then when God doesn't deliver on what He hasn't promised, they get angry with God for not delivering on what He never promised in the first place. I really loved uh, Elijah this morning in the, in the children's message and what he said about his dad, you know, and, and the, the present that he was expecting to receive from his dad. And you know that he hasn't received it yet. But he has this confidence that his dad is going to give him something. Now imagine if his dad came to him and gave him you know, one of those little toy uh, children, uh, infant computer things that you just have buttons and make sounds and stuff. You, know, you can imagine the kind of reaction that he would have. But also imagine that if he had in his mind that his dad is going to buy him a gold-encrusted, diamond-bejeweled computer for him to play with, and then all of a sudden he gets you know, a normal... Uh, laptop, you know, the kind of response that it would have. And so often we miss God's goodness because we create these fantasies in our minds. Now we've been looking over the last few weeks, and we'll continue to look, uh, on this reality that God is good and what it means to say God is good. And we said that God is inherently good, that in the very depths of His being, that God is good. And there's three key qualities of God. God is holy, God is love, and God is good. And these are repeated many times throughout Scripture. You can know this about God's character. God is good. God is holy. God is love. And and God is good. And that never changes. There's never a point in time when God ceases to be good. He can't cease to be good because He's inherently good. If he ceased to be good, he'd cease to be God. And we've also seen how what God does is always good. That God cannot act in a way that is not good. Now we might not see it as good. We might not understand it as good right away. But God always acts in a manner that is good. I often liken it to uh, imagining uh, a two or three year old who uh, is trying to learn how to ride a bike and say that they fall off the bike and they injure themselves and maybe they, they cut their, their forehead or something like that and they have to be taken to the emergency room. 
and they're crying and they're distressed and, and dad takes the child to the emergency room but the child just won't, you know, won't, won't settle down. It just keeps moving around and the doctor says, you're going to have to hold your child down and the dad puts all of his pressure and weight on the child and the child doesn't understand and he's screaming and he, he's upset and, and at that moment, the child doesn't feel like what dad is doing is good but we know from our superior wisdom and our superior perspective that actually what dad is doing is essential to be done and is really for the good of the child. Uh, and we have to have that kind of understanding about how God acts in a good way. God understands, he sees, he has a perspective that we cannot possibly imagine that we cannot possibly see and that God when he gives good when he does good he does good with a long-term view in mind and many times what God does is prepare us to receive his goodness so as he's training us as he's disciplining us as he sometimes lead us leads us through times of suffering and difficulty he's preparing us to receive his goodness and today we're looking in these scriptures and we see something else that we absolutely have to believe. Now we need faith to believe that God is good. We need faith to believe that God does good. And we also need faith to believe that God gives good. God gives good. That's part of his heart. You know, our God is a giving God. His very nature is to give. He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. If you think about the extravagance of this universe, one of the arguments that's often used against the existence of God is the vastness of the universe. Because scientists will say, and some scientists have said, that if we only exist in this little planet, which is a very, 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 very tiny speck in the vastness of the universe and multiple millions of galaxies and on and on and on. If there's only life in this one little bitty place, then God was extraordinarily wasteful in creating the rest of the universe. And so they said, you know, God would never waste so much and so there can't be a God. But actually... The vastness of the universe, if there is life just on this one little speck of, of planet, the vastness of the universe does not indicate God's wastefulness. It indicates the extravagance of God's giving. That's the kind of God we serve. It's right there. And so God is good. God does good. And God gives good. And we really need this to hold on to this when things aren't going well. Now notice what the, the psalmist was doing here. He starts out and he says, Okay, Lord, you have pardoned the sins of your people. You have dealt with us in the past. You have been gracious. You have been loving. You have forgiven us. But what is he doing first? He's reminding himself and the other people that would be listening to this song. He's reminding them that God is not going to withhold good from us simply because we're, we're sinful. God is not withholding good for us simply because we mess things up. 
That God has forgiven all that. And if God has forgiven that in the past, certainly God will forgive that in the future. A lot of times we're afraid that God's not going to give us good because, oh, I'm, I'm just so full of sin and I, I'm just so messed up and, and, and I don't pray enough and I don't do this enough and that enough. And, and so, you know, God would never give me anything good because of all this stuff. And what we say is, no, that's not true. In the cross of Christ, God's given you everything. God's given you everything. And the cross of Christ atones for our sin when we come into relationship with Him by grace through faith. It's all covered. God's not going to withhold anything because of our sin. And that's what the psalmist was saying. And then he goes on, and, and the tenor of the next part of that psalm just seems to suggest that things are not going well. That they're going through a difficult time. It's not a time of prosperity. It's not a time of abundance. It's not a time where, where things are going well. It's not a time where things seem to be working out in life. You know, there's seasons in our lives when it just seems like nothing works. Everything wants to fall apart. It, 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 not, nothing seems to be successful. Nothing seems to be effective. And it was this kind of season that they were going through. A season where nothing was working and everything just seemed to be ineffective and, and, and no matter what they tried, it was all falling apart. And the temptation was to think, okay, it's because of our sin that this happened or the temptation is to think, well, maybe God's not good anymore or God's not with me anymore uh, or any of these kinds of things. And the psalmist says, no, no, that's not the case. That's not the case because God is faithful. And notice what he says. I, I love these verses here. He says, steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other, faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. He's saying all of these characteristics of God and all these dynamics of God are coming together and they cannot be stopped and they cannot be changed. And all of this, the acknowledgement that God pardons, the acknowledgement that even though things are not going the way that we think that they should, that doesn't mean God has left us. The acknowledgement of who God is and how all of His characteristics come together, they all flow into this one declaration that He makes. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. The Lord will give what is good. The Lord will give what is good. We have to believe. We have to choose to believe the Lord will give what is good. He will do it. It's not he's thinking about it. He's not considering it. He's not wondering about it. He's not pondering. He's not making his list and checking it twice, finding out who's naughty and nice. Not anything like Santa Claus coming to town. The Lord will give what is good. The Lord will do it. He will do it. And we absolutely need to know that that's the case. I mentioned uh, that uh, Friday I flew over to Prague in the Czech Republic. They'd invited me over, uh, a group of churches there had invited me over to do uh, their annual autumn uh, pastors uh, event. Uh, and so I did some prayer ministry on Friday night and then Saturday morning uh, I did two sessions of teaching about how not to be a uh, stressed out and exhausted leader. 
And uh, then uh, we had, had a spot of lunch. I was a bit nervous, I have to admit, because I was flying with a, a budget airline. I shall not mention how easy it was or its name. But I was flying with a budget airline that I have never had an on-time flight with in 10 years. Never. Although it's pretty easy to book this online. But I won't mention the name. And, uh, and last night we had an event here at City Temple for which we were leading worship and I was one of the keynote speakers. And so it was working out where uh, I, I figured out that I had no more than an hour to play with to get back. Uh, and I've been uh, at times delayed almost two and a half hours. And so the temptation there was to be very nervous, uh, but I thought, you know, Lord, you're in control of all of this, and I was confident of one thing, that no matter what happened, God would give what is good. And I happened to walk in the door here at City Temple at five minutes past six for a 6.30 start last night. Hallelujah. Now, but you have to have that confidence. The Lord will give what is good. If you don't believe that, then you will act in all kinds of crazy ways. You know, you'll be saying, God, are you sure that you, you know, what you're doing is the right kind of thing? Uh, or you'll be saying, well, okay, I need to keep my options open because just in case God doesn't give me what is good, then I need to save up a lot of money so I can buy what is good for myself. Or if God doesn't give me what is good, then I need to create the relationship so I can get what I feel like is good for myself. And all of that distorts our walk with Jesus. It distorts our lives. It distorts uh, uh, our, our faith. It distorts everything. And we can actually create situations where not only do we not receive what is good from God, but we actually make things worse and receive what is very not good from ourselves in our own lives. So it requires the faith the Lord will give what is good. But then the question goes, do we just passively then sit back and wait for it? Now, is it the kind of thing where we just say, you know, all right, I'm just going to wait. Now, if I asked Elijah this question uh, about, uh, about this, uh, this promised present from his dad, uh, I guarantee you I know what Elijah is not going to do. Elijah is not going to just step back and, uh, and say, okay, I'm not going to say a word about this. I'm just going to wait until one day at some point in time in the future, I get what God told me he's going to give me, uh, what dad told me he's going to give me. That's not Elijah's style. Elijah's style is this. Dad, when am I getting this uh, promised gift? Soon? Okay. Dad, when am I getting this? No, Dad, I really, I think I could use this computer right now. You know, my, my homework, I, I, I really, it's important for my, my, my homework. Yeah, not for those games that I want to put on it, but my homework. Uh, I want it now, God. Uh, Dad, can I have it now? And he's going to do this. Am I right? Am I right? It, it, uh, this is a style. And you think, okay, well, you know, we're, we're adults. We're mature. We shouldn't be that way. But that's not what Jesus says. You know what Jesus said? He said, ask, 
And you all know, you've all heard sermons on this. The, the tense of the Greek means to ask and keep on asking. To seek and keep on seeking. To knock and keep on knocking. This approach that we know that Elijah's going to do to his dad, Jesus is telling us that we need to do it to our dad in heaven. That we need to ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, not as somebody who does not believe. You know, the beautiful thing about what Elijah did, he had absolute confidence that his dad is going to keep his word. And we need to have absolute confidence that our heavenly dad is going to keep his word as well. That he has promised good and he will deliver the good he's promised. He will give good to us. That is a promise and we can expect it. Therefore, we need to ask for it and we keep on asking for it. We keep on seeking it. We keep on looking for it. We keep on knocking. Hey God, remember what you promised. And we continue to do that not with the fear that God won't deliver, but with the confidence that He will. Because Jesus goes on to say, hey, you know, there's no dad that's going to give a kid a, 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 a piece of rock that looks like a stone, a, a piece of rock that looks like a loaf of bread, when He promised him bread. And there's no dad that's going to give, you know, some kind of snake or eel or something like that when He's promised his kid a fish. Now, every human father wants to give good gifts to his kids. And if his human father wants to give good gifts to his kids, how much more does your heavenly father want to give good things to those who ask him? And so we are called by God to ask for these good things that he has promised, to ask for the good things that we need, to keep on asking, not with the, the pestering of somebody who doesn't believe, but with the confidence of somebody who knows that we have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to give what is good. That is His desire. He loves to do this. God absolutely loves to give what is good. It makes Him happy. It great, brings joy to His being as God to give what is good. It's in his nature. It's in his DNA. He can't help but do it because he is God and he is good and he wants to do this. And so we need to approach him in prayer with the confidence that he will do this. The confidence that he is going to give what is good. And this giving what is good, it's talking about, you know, Jesus says here, good things. I mean, and I'm not, you know, somebody raised an issue, and I, and I think it was really good to say, you know, are, are we talking about kind of a name it and claim it health and wealth kind of prosperity? No, we're not. No, we're not. You know, it's not that God is going to give you everything you want and everything that you have faith to ask for. So that if you say, you know, I need a new Mercedes and I need this and I need that, you know, that suddenly God's going to give it. He's not. And that's not what it's about. But at the same time, we cannot deny the material side of this. He's talking about good things. Things mean something that's tangible, that's material, that you can experience, not something that's just ephemeral. Again, God's not giving you everything, but everything you might think you want, but he is going to give you what is good as you ask him. 
You ask him with the confidence that he is a loving Heavenly Father. And you ask him with the reality of what James said, that every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. God is good, God does good, God gives good, and God does not change even in the least at any point in time. There is never going to be a point in time in all of history as we understand it and even beyond in the new history as God creates it that God will cease to be good, do good, and give good because God is good. God never changes. He never changes. Every good and perfect gift, and really, it's almost, you could say, every good and good gift, because the, the, the two concepts here are this. The, the first word, good, uh, is actually talking about things that are beautiful, things that are pleasurable, things that are lovely, things that are attractive, that kind of good. The second word, perfect, is also another understanding of good, and that means that which is useful, that which we need, that's which we require. Every beautiful thing and every useful thing, every beautiful gift and every useful gift that we have in our lives, whether or not it seems to come directly from the hand of our Father, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father. Every good that you know Every good that you experience, every good that you have in your life comes from your Heavenly Father. Every single one. The Lord gives good. And every good gift you have. It's, it's one, when, I, when I try, you know, you know, I have a fondness for pastry. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm tasting a new pastry, the fact that my taste buds are activated and those reward centers in my brain light up I say, God, oh man, this is good. Thank you. When I'm playing, when I'm playing with my people up on the, uh, uh, up on the platform, and uh, I just have, I mean, it's so great, these guys today. You know, notice how they switched it up a bit. Uh, they just want to keep me guessing all the time. You know, when, I, when I'm playing with, with, it's so good. And I say, God, thank you for that. When I'm outside and the weather is just that kind of crisp and the skies are blue, oh man, that's good, Father, thank you. Because every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father, the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turning. Everything that we have, every blessing we experience, all of that comes from God because God loves to give. God loves to give, and God gives good things. God gives good things. But it's interesting. Notice what James said. He said, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. That's kind of weird. Do not be deceived. How can we be deceived? One way is to think that good things come because we've worked hard for them. 
that the good gifts that we have are simply our own doing. And that's a deception. Yes, we're called to work hard, but do you know hard work is a good gift from God? And the fact that we work and get a paycheck, that's God's gift? So even if you buy something with your, quote, own money, do you know God gave you that money in the first place? You know, that's why God calls us to give. God doesn't need the money. But our giving financially is just an acknowledgement, hey God, this is actually yours, and you gave it to me, but I'm giving a little bit back to you. And that's the way God works. He loves to do that. And so we can't be deceived that way. We also need to be careful not to be deceived by our own idealistic expectations about what is good. Just like in my opening stories, I missed goodness because my lower idealism got in the way. And many times we deceive ourselves in thinking that what God has given, it doesn't meet the standard, it's not really good. And we really have to persist with it and persevere with it until we understand what God has done in that. And we can also be deceived by failing to believe that God will give what is good. That's God's desire for your life. We're so tempted to look at our outward circumstances and say, oh, well, I don't know if God's giving me good, and I don't know what's happening here, but it's not good, it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good. And we all go through those times, every single one of us. But the thing that will get you through is this confidence, God will give what is good. And the promise of this is Jesus. That's the guarantee. If God did not spare his own son, how will he not spare us any good thing? Jesus is the sign. And Jesus went through that which seemed to be very, very not good. Suffering and dying on the cross. But it turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened in the world. And then God took it a step further and said, you know, death is not going to hold me. And on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. This is a promise of God's goodness. And the promise that we have for our faith in Jesus Christ, the promise that we have for eternal life, is also the promise that we have that yes, God will give what is good. So we keep on asking with the confidence that we have a good, good Father. And we keep on thanking God for every good and perfect gift that comes down from our Father in Heaven who never changes, given to us through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father God, thank You so much. Thank You that You give what is good. You always do, and you always will. And thank you that you never give us anything which is not good. You give what is good. And we are confident in this. We trust you in this. We believe your word in this. And we thank you.
We thank you for the blessings that we have right now. We thank you for the good things that you have given us. And we honor you and praise you for all of it. We rejoice in you. You're such a beautiful, beautiful God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we start worshiping,